Can I ask you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? So we'll have two passages today. Um, the first is from the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. I think the text is on the screen, but here it is. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. And the second passage is uh, the, the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Jonathan is available to come and read scripture at your house for a small fee. Thank you, Jonathan. Let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome. Uh, if you have not been with us the last month, we're finishing up a sermon series on forgiveness called A Season of Second Chances. It's been a really timely uh, sermon series for us, and um, I've been really grateful for it. Simon, Pastor Simon began this series 
on forgiveness, and um, he chose the image of the weather to sort of talk about forgiveness in the season of second chances. He lamented uh, the gray and rainy month that we had in April and looking forward to a new season for, for sun. Um, and he applied that, that to the state of unforgiveness that can often be in our hearts, um, that the state of unforgiveness can be like a dark cloud that hangs over us, and, and how the forgiveness that Christ gives to us allows us to extend forgiveness to others and enter into a season of second chances, a springtime of new growth and new beginnings. It's a really great image. It worked really well, especially because it basically became spring during this sermon series, which is great. Uh, But it's given us an opportunity to dive deeply into forgiveness, what it means to, to be forgiven, to extend forgiveness to other people, to resist the sin of toxic unforgiveness in our lives and and what that does to our hearts. But as with every image, um, it breaks down at some point. Maybe not for you, but it does for me. You see, I actually enjoy colder weather. Uh, I'm one of those people. I, I enjoy spring. Don't get me wrong. Beautiful day yesterday. It was amazing. Um, I like being outside. I like the green. But there is this foreboding reality with spring, too. You're going to feel it this afternoon. And that is, especially in Chicago, before you know it, it's going to be like really hot and humid. Many of you love this. More power to you. I represent a very small segment of the population who uh, likes snow and enjoys wearing itchy sweaters and doesn't like getting sunburned, you know, 30 seconds out after being outside. Um, My ideal day is like 45 degrees and partly sunny, right? So, I used to watch the weather segment on the news um, and watch the weather people, and they would often say, oh, beautiful weekend, summer weekend this weekend, it's in the 90s, it's hot, it's beautiful, or awful weekend this weekend, it's going to be cold and rainy or there's snow. And I would often watch that and go, well, not for me. I like that, or I don't like that. And I just had a lengthy conversation with my son Quinn in the car this week who he was lamenting not being able to play Frisbee because it was another kind of rainy day and stuff was going to get canceled. And he was like, geez, is there any place that we can live in the world where the weather just does exactly what it's supposed to do every season? Is that place exist? And no, son, that place doesn't exist. It's not the way that things work. No place is perfect, and what is perfect for one person might not be for somebody else. What is a season of growth and pleasure and and, and a real gift to someone might be the opposite for somebody else. And I say that because maybe you, over the last month, have experienced the reality of forgiveness. Maybe you've done some of the, the hard work that we've called you to, and you've made steps towards forgiveness in your own lives or in the lives of other people. Maybe you've extended forgiveness to somebody else. We've heard some of these stories already, and they've been super encouraging. They've been wonderful. But, but as I close out this series, I want us to guard against ending our forgiveness journey there. Because you might be enjoying the sunshine of a, of a new season, free from uh, the sin of unforgiveness and free from bitterness in your life and, and experiencing restored relationships. But we ought to remember that we live in a world that says, it's not that way for me. It's not that way for me. We hardly need a reminder, especially this week, that we live in a world that largely dismisses the transforming grace of Jesus Christ, that often chooses bitterness over forgiveness, that remains in a a cold season of, of bitterness and contempt and even violence. So if you are right now in a great season in your life, that is wonderful. But we deceive ourselves if we believe that that is all that God desires for us when he calls us to forgiveness. He desires to see his whole world, every beautiful person made in the image of God, and indeed all of creation, 
to be in a new season that's marked by grace and forgiveness and freedom and love. Pastor Simon's been going back to this phrase over and over again through our series. If God, uh, God doesn't forgive us if we forgive others, God forgives us so we can forgive others. And if I can just add something to that this morning, he does this because we are called to engage this world with the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from Jesus. Forgiveness is not a personal thing for you. It's not this atomized little thing for you and your close relationships to enhance your life and make your life better. That's not what forgiveness is. It's God's plan for the world. And for those of us who know the forgiveness of Jesus, have experienced that in our lives, we get to be an integral part of being forgiveness people for the world around us. So here's the call this morning. In your life, lead with forgiveness. Lead with forgiveness. If you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus in your life, learn to lead with forgiveness in everything that you do. There's actually a biblical word for leading with forgiveness. The word is reconciliation. We might think of reconciliation as like conflict mediation or conflict management, but that's not what Paul is talking about primarily when he talks about reconciliation. Paul uses the word several times, uh, most pointedly in that second, or that second Corinthians 5 passage that was read for us. And I, and I want to walk you through a couple parts of this passage just to, to show you sort of a formula, steps that Paul takes to, to help us begin to lead with forgiveness in our lives. First, in verse 14, Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And this is really the first step. It's what we talked about for a couple weeks. It's receiving forgiveness from Jesus. We have to receive it ourselves. Paul is compelled by the love of Jesus, right? He, he comprehends what it means that Jesus died for him and that Jesus died for all of humanity, for the world. He's received that grace and forgiveness from, from Jesus. He's experienced that in his life. And that's really step one. But then comes step two, where we're transformed as we forgive other people in our lives. Starting in verse 15. And Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do that any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. You see, when we understand the forgiveness of sins that's, that's offered to us through Jesus, it leads us to naturally forgive those people around us, to extend it. Again, as Simon says, God doesn't forgive us if we forgive others. It's not a conditional thing. He forgives us so that we can forgive other people. But then, step three in this passage actually goes further out. And that is, we have an opportunity to lead with forgiveness in the way that we approach this world. Verse 18, it's worth reading again. All this is from God who reconciled to us, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world, himself to, the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is a staggering thing here while I read it. Listen. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message, be reconciled to God. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It means that we're a citizen of another place that's been put in a place to to represent that place where we are. That's an ambassador. And Paul's call here is really clear. We live in a world that needs to be reconciled to God. A world that needs to know the deep grace and and love of God and, and receive forgiveness. It's not enough that we just rest in the forgiveness we've received. We need to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Recognizing that God is, is, thinks enough of us to make his appeal to the world through us. An amazing thing to say. But what does that functionally look like for us? What does it mean for us to actually lead with forgiveness in our lives? To, to be these, as Paul calls them, ambassadors of reconciliation. I just want to give you one example from, from our little corner of the kingdom of the Covenant Church. This is Pastor John Njramba Karuga. Uh, he was the former head of the Evangelical Covenant Church in Kenya. And um, he's got an amazing story. Karuga was uh, raised in Kenya, lived most of his life in an area of, of deep conflict with Muslim neighbors. And his early view as, as a young, as a young like, teenager was that um, his Muslim neighbors were not worthy of God's love. They weren't worthy of God's love. But then John came to know Jesus through a preacher in his village. He heard about the forgiveness of Jesus. He learned about the grace of God and and, and absorbed that into himself. But it didn't immediately change his views on his neighbors. In fact, in his early Christian faith, as he took hold of that, there was really only one way that he saw fit to interact with the Muslim neighbors in his life, and that was uh, through debate and argument, he needed to win them to Jesus through evangelism and, apo- and apologetics. For him, these were people who were, were despised. They were not redeemable as they were, and so they simply needed to just be saved, converted. And, and actually, because of his gifts, he won many Muslims over to the cause of Jesus this way. But then, as he began to do so and actually get to know these people, what he saw was that each, almost each and every one of them who came to know Jesus experienced heavy, heavy persecution in their communities and most often from their families, excommunication from their families, abuse from their families because of this. And that began to change his view. He wrote, quote, That's when God revealed to me that we needed to move beyond debates and arguments. We had to start preaching a gospel of peace and reconciliation. So he himself had been reconciled to Jesus, forgiven, free, marked by grace. And so he started to lead with forgiveness in his life. He began to take a more relational approach with his Muslim neighbors. He embedded himself in Muslim communities. He devoted himself to reconciliation with the isolated and dispossessed Wa'ata Muslim people. He began to see his ministry as one of reconciliation, in fact, He began to travel around village to village, and what his ministry was, was he would go and he would create peace seminars between Christians and Muslims together. On July 1st, 2016, near Mandera, Kenya, which is on the border with Somalia, an extremist group called the Al-Shaba'ab ambushed the bus that John was on, killing him and five other people. But in the last year of his life, here's what John taught. He said, quote, The ministry we are given 
is one of reconciliation which mends the ways where relationships have been broken. And his church continues to do that today. His church is leading with forgiveness, inspired by his martyrdom. They are advancing his work of reconciliation. Where they used to engage their Muslim neighbors with, with contempt, just trying to win them over with apologetics, trying to convert them, they now, with John as their example, love their Muslim neighbors. And they do these peace seminars in his memory because of the forgiveness that they've received with Jesus. John's last known words were, we must preach peace at all costs. Now, this may seem like an extreme example, but, and it is, but it's actually a good and faithful example for us because John, Pastor John, went through those three steps that we see in 2 Corinthians 5. He received forgiveness. He was aware of his own forgiveness, his need for it, and received it. And then he was transformed by forgiving those around him. And then he committed himself to leading with forgiveness in the way that he engaged the world. Now, we are far less likely to go to places of religious and ideological warfare to go and do peace seminars and be reconcilers in that way. But the reason that John did do that was not because he's a way better Christian than anybody else. He did that because that's where he was. That's where God had placed him. He placed him in a place where those relationships were broken, and so he became a reconciler in this militantly Muslim area. So I have a question for you. Where has God placed you right now in this season of life? Where's God placed you? God placed John there. Where has he placed you in this season of life? I was just talking with someone in between services who says, I'm 79 years old, and and this sermon really is an end-of-life sermon for me because God has placed me here right now. I'm not in the same place I was 10 years ago. None of us are. Where has God placed you right now in your life? And what would it mean for you to lead with forgiveness and be an ambassador of reconciliation for where God has placed you? In your neighborhood, in your workplace, at your school. I'm not really sure what this means for you. But I know for me it means that I want to lead with forgiveness in everything that I do. I I want people to know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus' desire for them to be reconciled. I want to preach peace at all costs. And if I've truly experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, which I have, how could I want anything less for the people in my life, the people I interact with? I want them to know Jesus. I want them to to have this relationship and be changed by him. And then I want them to be people who lead with forgiveness as well, because that's Jesus' desire for the world. The last words of the Gospel of Matthew, which were read for us, have been dubbed the Great Commission. Jesus calls uh, his, his disciples um, together and gives them a mission. And really, leading with forgiveness is at the heart of that Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Missiologist Al-Tazan points out how this passage has often been read through sort of an exclusive lens of the right words or evangelism, right? That Jesus' Great Commission is really about going and making converts. But he encourages a fuller understanding of this text. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he doesn't just mean teach people to believe the right thing 
to make converts or to make believers. He means make people who follow Jesus. Make them disciples, people who follow Jesus in every way of life. The way of Jesus is the one that always leads to forgiveness. If we look at the life of Jesus, he led with forgiveness. That's what he's calling his disciples to go and do. So evangelism, yes, tell people about Jesus. Absolutely, we have to do that. But also active reconciliation, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Older generations have tended to focus more on evangelism. I know our younger generations who are upcoming have tended to be very comfortable with Christian faith lived out in actions, actions like compassion and mercy and justice, and we should be encouraging that. Tazan says that both are essential. We need to clearly present who Jesus is, or else forgiveness is really out of reach for us because forgiveness comes through him. But then we must live out our faith in tangible ways that speak to the forgiveness and offer that forgiveness to other people. We've seen and heard the motto a lot over the last half decade or so, no justice, no peace. And, and, and it's right to tie these things together, things being right in the world and, and peace in our hearts. But from a biblical standpoint, these, are, these should actually be flipped. No peace, no justice. No peace, no justice. We need to receive the grace and peace of Jesus and then go do the reconciling work of compassion and mercy and justice that Jesus models for us. So again, back to my question. What does it mean for you to lead with forgiveness in your life, to be an ambassador of reconciliation? Ways to do that in closing. First, three things. First, receive Jesus' forgiveness and continue to do so. Can you clearly say, I've done the hard work that's necessary to to be forgiven and extend forgiveness? Can you say, I know what grace is? Can you articulate what it means to experience the forgiveness of Jesus in your life? If not, my dear friend, there's still work for you to do. I'd love to journey with you as you do that. But make that work your priority until you can clearly articulate receiving forgiveness from Jesus. And remember that the the, the reconciling, forgiving work of Jesus is always initiated by God. It's not you. It's a gift that we receive. But we can't lead with forgiveness in our lives if we don't know what forgiveness is. And forgiveness is not a one-time occurrence. I'm asking for Jesus' forgiveness all throughout my day. And at the end of the day, I'm asking for a fresh start tomorrow. We need to continue to receive Jesus' forgiveness. Second, in terms of leading with forgiveness, is we need to remember that every person that we meet is worthy of Jesus' forgiveness. Not only that, Jesus died to reconcile that person. So when we lead with forgiveness, we can't receive people as enemies, as stumbling blocks, as a problem. No, that person is God's child. And God wants them to know the grace and the wholeness and the forgiveness of sins. So when I'm reminded of this, it changes my interactions, whether it's with the barista or the custodian or the CEO or the ticket guy on the train, the coworker, the family member, the neighbor, the person who believes something different than I do, the one who's wronged me. When I interact with that person, I I want to start with the fact that I am a sinner who needs to be forgiven. And And then warm, humble, gracious interactions will speak well of what God's done in my life and, 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 and in my heart, and it will invite them to do that work as well. Uh, a few years back, I, um, I had a 
After a service, a, a young man came forward who was one of my confirmation students from over a decade before I'd, I hadn't seen him in years, and he came up with tears in his eyes. And after the service, he said, hey, I just need to tell you, I'll never forget that you came to my grandma's memorial service, and you came down, and you gave me a hug, and you said that God loves you. And I was like, wow. And as I'm going, I don't remember going to that service at all. I don't remember that hug. I don't, I kind of like vaguely remember going to the service. I really didn't have any memory of it. But he said, that changed my life because I needed to know in that moment that God loved me. This was clearly not an earth-shattering encounter for me, right? Because I didn't remember it. It was not one of my great steps of faith in my life. Um, this was certainly not traveling to like a militant Muslim town like Pastor John did and leading a peace seminar. That's not what this was. I guess it was on that day that I showed up. I'm sure I had other stuff to do that day. Leading with forgiveness, I guess, is what I did. And it was, God was the one who made that significant for that person. And I, I can't help but think as we interact with people, what would happen if followers of Jesus committed themselves to meeting people in this way? Like everybody that they meet. I mean, how might God make those simple interactions more significant? What, what if people, like we've seen this week, who have unspeakable violence in their hearts and, and evil in their minds, what if they were intentionally approached by those who know the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, and somehow we can find a way to embrace those people and say, God loves you. I'm not saying that it's going to solve all the ills of our world. It didn't for Pastor John. He, he died for that. But I have to believe that if more people were leading with forgiveness in this way, if more people were serious about being active ambassadors of the gospel of reconciliation, that there would be a great movement of healing that would take place in our culture. Third, last, we need to commit to making Jesus known both in word and deed. I've already talked about this, but but just actions without proclamation of Jesus can easily devolve into do-goodism, something that we just sort of check the box. They're not ultimately going to lead to true forgiveness because true forgiveness can only be found where Jesus is recognized as Lord and Savior. And then evangelism or right words without action can easily devolve into platitudes or things like colonialism, both of which fall hopelessly short of the model of Jesus. And both of those routes are incomplete. They fail to grasp the Great Commission where Jesus is proclaimed and forgiveness and reconciliation are embodied. So if we're only talking about Jesus, but we're never acting as his hands and his feet, or if we're taking action, but we're cowering to name Jesus as the reason why we're taking that action, then we're not leading with forgiveness because leading with forgiveness requires both. So I want to encourage you to earnestly consider what it means to, to lead with forgiveness in your family, your school, your work, your neighborhood. Not only do I believe that this has the opportunity to transform our communities, but I know that when I'm actively leading with forgiveness in my own life, it changes my heart. I mean, every time I choose to lead with forgiveness, I'm reminded of God's forgiveness towards me, the gift of that to me, and, and how much I want other people to experience that. And, and while we might feel helpless in the face of so many big societal issues, we are not helpless in the way that we approach the world that God has given to us. And frankly, we need to begin to take this more seriously as the church, reminding the world of who Jesus is. Too often, I think, Christ followers are content that at least the sun's shining on us and I'm in a good season and, and, and then we overlook the clouds that are hanging over the world around us and even our neighbors instead of bringing the light of Christ there. 
which is nothing if not the the ministry of reconciliation. That's what it is. So we can't afford to let the world remain unreconciled to God when he has placed us here to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So I want to encourage you, let's get to the business of what we're created to do. Leading with forgiveness in the way that Jesus first led with forgiveness to us. Through word and deed, let's join the Apostle Paul in imploring the world, be reconciled to God. And Lord, help it to be so. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, at the end of these conversations on forgiveness, we're reminded of our need for forgiveness yet again. We come to you and we're thankful for the gift of grace that you offer to us. Lord, would you continue to impress upon us the opportunities that we have to forgive others? And would you teach us what it means to lead with forgiveness in our lives? Would you help us to embrace the call of being ambassadors of reconciliation? Might we proclaim you in name? And might we also proclaim you in the work that we do for a world which needs to know you? So Lord, would you do your reconciling work in us and through us? And in doing so, may we have an ever fuller vision of what true forgiveness from you really is. Amen. Amen.